0: that's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Stand info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's game to 200-200. Listen, and you'll know.
0: First of all, if you haven't heard this yet, I love this. Rod Arquette on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. <laughs>
2: If you listen to what happened over the weekend as we celebrated the uh, July 4th holiday here in the great state of Utah and around the country, we suck as a country. I mean, we're, we're just absolutely awful. I mean, the country, first of all, was stolen from Native Americans. Uh, we're a bunch of racists. Blacks in America are not free today. And uh, we're unfair to everybody. I mean, if you, if you listen to the mainstream media and the elites over the weekend, I'll give you a rundown of it here in a minute. Many of you have heard this, many of you may have not. But we basically suck as a country. We, we are the worst country in the world. That's what they claimed. I would totally disagree with that, and I'll give you a couple of examples why we aren't. How are you, everybody? Hello, Utah. Welcome to the Radar Ketchum on this uh, day, let's see, Tuesday already, following the uh, July 4th weekend. Hope you had a great, great weekend. We did uh, Did the typical July 4th things. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, it, w- it, w- it was just fun to celebrate. Now, it's hot. Okay, everybody agrees. It's hot. Folks, remember, we do live in a high desert, and it does get hot like this occasionally. Not as long. I mean, this this is an unusual summer. I'll, I'll I'll go along with people who are saying that, but but it is hot, and uh, we live with this. For I've just listened to the KUTV weather forecast. Um, it's going to be like this for a little while, so we'll just have to adjust. And I know many many of us and many of you will as well. And we'll get through all of this. Don't worry about it. Fall, believe it or not, is not that far away. We can only hope. Right. All right. Uh, Great to be with you on this Tuesday afternoon, an abbreviated week for us because of the uh, holiday yesterday. We invite you to be a part of the program, 888 570 888 or on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and simply say, hey, run. All right, let's take a look at some of the things that America's haters said over this past weekend, all right? Um, from Hollywood to Washington, the elitists were out, they used... America's 245th birthday to continue. I, I, I think it is a relentless pursuit now on the greatest democracy in the world. And they are not going to give up. Uh, here's Al- Alyssa Milano. She's an actress out of Hollywood. Reminder, she tweeted out, The United States was founded on the unjust treatment of Native Americans, Africans, and other people of color. You bunch of racists, you. Here's Cory Bush. She's a Democrat from Missouri. She challenged the notion of the land of the free. When they say that the 4th of July is about American freedom, remember this, the freedom they're referring to is for white people. This land is stolen and black people still aren't free. Let's see. We elected a black president. We have a black woman who is now vice president. Uh, she is a black woman elected in Missouri. In Missouri, they have a black governor And I believe a black attorney general in the state of Missouri. But apparently blacks are still not free. Don't get that one. Do you? A group of Georgetown University students. They decided to cast their hatred in America with a montage. It said, one student said, I feel embarrassed to be an American every day. Another set I think of things about this country are really embarrassing. Just like, I mean, a race's history, colonization, even currently just what's going on with politics and cops. And not to be outdone, here comes Black Lives Matter Utah. On the 4th of July, they called the American flag a symbol of hate on social media. When we black Americans see this flag, the post read... We know the person flying it is not safe to be around. We see this flag. We know the person flying it is a racist. I did not realize, and I apologize for this, that I live in my neighborhood in Cadesville, that we are all, that I'm surrounded by a bunch of racists. I mean, almost every home in my neighborhood over the weekend had an American flag on display. So according to Black Lives Matter Utah, anyone who displays the flag, is a, it's someone you don't want to be around because they are racist. The Post went on to say, the point of the Post was to make people feel uncomfortable, according to Lex Scott, who heads that up. Now, let's see. They attacked the flag. They attacked uh, America. They even attacked fireworks over the weekend. There was a story out there, was it, was a National Geographic or National Science, one of those science magazines, who said that it is African-Americans who suffer most because of fireworks. And we direct the smoke from the fireworks to go into minority communities. So they will be impacted more than anything else. I know you're laughing, aren't you? You got, you, you got to be when you hear this stuff. Now, so we suck on almost everything. Well, not to be outdone, this week that's ABC's uh, Sunday show called This Week, the panel there, marked Independence Day by hyping how politically we divided we are. Martha Raddus asked members of the panel to comment on the state of America with a minute left to go on the show. First of all, you'll hear LZ Granderson. He is an L.A. Times columnist. And then you'll hear Mary Jordan, who is the Washington Post national correspondent, talk about the division within America and why we suck.
3: I think about the more than 250 anti LGBTQ bills that have been introduced this year alone, many of them targeting uh, transgender youth, children. So I feel as long as we have elected officials who are willing to use children as political pawns to gain points, who are willing to use the country's most vulnerable to gain points, we'll always have this division. That's where we need to start addressing that.
4: And, Mary, I think that. People need to remember that what's throwing gasoline on the fire for those who are angry at each other and angry at the government is income inequality. The rich are getting richer and they're more homeless. And when you have 150 of the richest people have as much wealth as 165 million Americans, people think it's unfair. And I think that restoring what America was, that it was a magnet for the ambitious, I think that would go a long way to mitigating some of the divisions.
2: Oh, you, you you nasty rich people. How dare you? How dare you be successful in America? How dare you that you have so much money? How dare you use your ambition to live the American dream? And she said, you know, the American dream, people, ambitious, they want to come here. Well, why do you think they want to come here, Mary? Wake up. It's not income equality that is dividing this country. That's the least of our concerns. But, boy, they they just stomped all over America this week. Now, you know, and you ask yourself, okay, what is it going to take for the woke leftists to stop hating America? I don't think we ever can. And I don't think we even should try. Simply because they are going to hate, hate, hate. They are so filled with hate. About America today, they refuse to accept the progress that we made each and every day. Now, some of my own thoughts on all of this. Um, Over the weekend, I was asked by somebody uh, if I was worried about America. And I told the individual who asked me, I said no. Because I know there are still a lot of great Americans out there. There are people every day who are doing the best they can to live the American dream to accomplish the things that they want to accomplish. And I've said before, these are the people who wake up every day, many of you out there who wake up every day, who go to work, who do all you can to support your family, maybe both mom and dad in that regard. You're doing what you can to teach your children. You're paying your taxes, even though you may not like it, I don't. Uh, And you're being involved in your community. So I'm not worried about America. Not yet simply because I still think there are a large amount of people out there who look at all this stuff that we had to hear this weekend and laugh at it because they know this is still the greatest country in the world. Now, I had a chance on Sunday night to go to the uh, annual Cadesville Fruit Heights devotional. They put this on every year at Davis High School. This year, the speaker, by the way, the keynote speaker of the event was Larry Gelwicks. Larry, of course, the host of uh, the travel show, also with Columbus Travel. Larry gave a fantastic speech, and he really talked about a couple of things. But the one thing that he mentioned that stuck with me is get out of the boat and start doing something. Push that wagon and start doing something. And I saw today a story that more and more people, they've never seen this around the country like they're seeing it right now. More and more people are running for school board elections. Why? Because they're afraid of the impact of critical race theory on the raising and education of their children. And they are going to do what they can to either recall current board members or run for school boards themselves. That is what's going to stop this. When people who believe in America, when people who are have common sense and are fair-minded people start running things again, they won't let these crack jobs get out there and try and take this country down. And I love Larry's comments. I thought he was spot on when he basically said, you know, Get out of the boat. Push that wagon. Because if you do, that's what's going to change America. All right, a lot to get to today. When we come back, we'll talk with Walt Heyer. He is an author about how a mom saved her daughter from becoming transgender. That's all coming up on the Rod Arquette Show. Great to be with you on this Tuesday afternoon. If you want to be a part of the program, 888-570-8010, 888 or on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod.
0: All right. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
5: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No processor prohibited by law. 18+ terms and conditions apply. See website for
6: details. Every day, we rise. Challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At US Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call working together to keep our country and community safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.
2: Let's talk about the housing market right now. It's still red hot out there. Demand is high. Inventory is low. Fantastic time to sell your home. But if you want to sell it quickly and get as much money as possible out of your home, I invite you to... Give Justin Ute. Get online and reach out to Justin Ute and Team Real Estate. Now, why, Justin? Well, Justin has sold more than 1,000 homes up and down the Wasatch Front. You can trust him. He'll shoot straight with you. He'll help you deal with all these bids and offers that come into your home because right now you are going to get them. He has experience. He knows how to do that. And he's got a tremendous team behind him. They know how to market, how to stage, how to do all that paperwork that needs to be done to get your home ready to be sold. So why not reach out to Justin today? He's with the Century 21 Everest Group, and it's easy to get a hold of him. Just go online to justinud.com. This week on the free iHeart app, number one for music, radio, and podcasts
7: all in one.
8: With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: The are on our here on Utah's Talk Radio 105.9. KNRS Listen, you'll know. Don't forget, another chance for you to win $1,000 in our hot $1,000 summer cash giveaway right here on Talk Radio 105.9. KNRS Listen, you'll know. Now, at five minutes past the hour, coming up at about 5.05, we're going to share with you the national winning keyword. And when you hear that word, Write it down, and then simply text it to two hundred two hundred. Again, text it to two hundred two hundred, and if you're the lucky winner, you'll win one thousand dollars in cash. And with everything going on this summer, and you and your family wanting to get out and experience summer again, because well, last summer was kind of it was awful because of COVID nineteen. Well, you can do so when you've got a little extra cash in your pocket. So it's called the Hot One Thousand Dollars Summer Cash Giveaway. And we invite you to be listening, coming up at 5.05, and you hear that keyword, instantly text it to 200-200, and you, in fact, could be a winner. All right, still to come, here on the Radar catch Show on this uh, Tuesday afternoon, Victor Davis Hanson will join us. Um, I I do want to talk about, in the 5 o'clock hour with you, there, uh, as Abby's been reporting this afternoon, the, um, I guess it's South Salt Lake District Attorney, uh, City Attorney, has gone ahead and has um, charged 11 anti-mask protesters with disrupting the Granite School Board meeting. Now, in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll take you back there uh, to that time. What was it? I think it was back in May, as I believe, and and let you hear what happened. And you tell me if these people should be charged. I'm going to share with you my opinion on all of this coming up at 5.05. But you tell me if these people should be charged because apparently the uh, city attorney down there in uh, in the Granite School District has decided to move forward and do just that. So uh, we'll talk about that in the uh, 5 o'clock hour. A little bit later on, um, how much did you pay for gasoline this week? As I told you last week, I hit at three fifty five a gallon at Costco. Uh, but now there is talk that it's going to stay above $3 a gallon probably until late fall, maybe even into the winter this year. And we'll talk about that and explain that as well. So a lot to get to uh, on the show. As always, we invite you to be part of it. 888 570 888 or on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rudd. Now, if you're listening to the last segment, LZ Gunderson, who writes for the LA Times, he's a columnist there at the LA Times, said his biggest concern in America today is state legislatures throughout the country and here in the state of Utah moving to prevent youth who are you know confused about their gender identity from moving forward with certain medical procedures to allow them to change their gender identity well joining me now on a newsmaker line to talk more about this is walt Heyer. he is an author uh we've had him on the show before he wrote a terrific article about how a mom saved a girl from transgenderism and walt is joining us on our newsmaker line right now walt how are you welcome back to the show
1: yeah, I'm good. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well, Walt. Thank you for asking. Walt, for people who don't know your story, could you quickly summarize what you've gone through and why this issue is so important to you?
1: Yeah, I started out as a what we, we would call today a trans kid uh, 76 years ago, and I've been researching and studying this issue since then. I've, I've lived the life, I transitioned, as they use that word, uh fully uh for and lived as Laura Jensen for 8 years and now after studying psychology pharmacology and some medical things I discovered that actually no one can change their gender it's categorically impossible the only thing you can do is change your persona but you cannot biologically change a man into a woman or a woman into a man so um I've written several books and Toured around the world uh, talking about this issue, and and you know you brought up the article about the the young girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just one of four young people that I've worked with recently who uh, none of them actually had gender dysphoria. They they actually lie about the fact these kids having gender dysphoria. Most of them, uh, it just is a what we call a social contagion. They're doing it because their friends are doing it, or because. Um, you know, they feel like if they're going to have friends, they almost have to identify as a transgender to get any attention.
2: The 10-year-old girl you you wrote about, uh, Walt, and you say her mom saved her. What did her mom do to save her?
1: Well, for, first off, her mom uh, contacted me, and we began to talk. And I always ask the mothers to sit down with the child and ask them, why do you want to erase or eliminate yourself. I mean, why? Because it's really about self-harm. Transgendering is not about becoming someone else. It's about erasing who you are. And for the mom to have that conversation with her, and uh in doing so, the kids usually open up and say, well, I'm doing it because of this or that. So that's what kind of happened with this young girl. She began to open up to mom once Uh, Mom sat down with her on the couch. And this, like I said, has happened several times recently when moms just sit down and ask them, you know, why are you trying to harm yourself or erase yourself or why don't you like yourself? Because you're perfectly good the way you are. And then they'll open up about, well, I found this out on the Internet and or friends. So in this particular case, the girl had been moved from a school where she had many good friends and moved into a school environment, which was the COVID type school online, and she didn't have any friends, and she made friends through the internet. And then when she was able to go out, she made friends with kids on the bus, and a couple of them were trans-identifying kids. And so this is how this gets started. That's why the title of the story is We're Manufacturing Transgender Kids. They're just really um, over... I can't overemphasize enough the fact that a uh, 90% of the kids that um, are identified or told they have gender dysphoria really don't? Uh, they're just doing it because it's especially with the age group between 11 and 16. This is where the the real environment of changing kids' um, ideas about who they are take place in schools and online. So parents need to be really aware of what mm-hmm. their kids are mm-hmm. looking at mm-hmm. online. That's mm-hmm. so critical.
2: Yeah, it is. Walt, why are the mental health experts? or those in the medical profession, telling these kids they have gender dysphoria.
1: Why are they telling them that? Well, yeah, many of them are given grant money to have these gender clinics, and so it becomes follow the money. Uh, They're actually, many of them paid handsomely to have these gender clinics, and if they don't produce these uh, supposedly gender-identifying transgender kids, they don't get the funding. So, um, it's really about the money. And I, I can tell you, I have now worked with literally hundreds and hundreds of individuals who regret having gone through this. And people can go look at my website, com, and read some of the stories. And so, um, they're really lying to the children about them changing genders. Like I said at mm-hmm. the outset, no one can change their gender. Uh, that's just not possible. <laughs> So I don't know why we're lying to the children either, because biologically nothing changes.
2: Walt, as always, great chatting with you. Thank you for your time this afternoon. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Joining us on our Newsmaker Line, that's well-known author Walt Hiery told a great story about a 10-year-old girl's mom who saved her from going transgender. What did she do? She sat down and she talked to her. 84. That's 800-885-4884. 800
1: Put me on a highway the interstate a dirt road to any place
10: long
0: Ketchow on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS.
2: 11 anti-mask protesters have now been charged with disrupting a school board meeting in the Granite School District earlier this year. Did they really need to be charged? We'll talk about that coming up at 5.05 right here on the Radar Ketchow. Welcome back on this Tuesday, and abbreviated week because of the uh, July 4th holiday. Well, as I mentioned at the uh, start of the show, there are a lot of people over the weekend who used the uh, 4th of July celebration to tell all Americans that we suck, that we are just the worst country in the world. So what's the genesis of this American collective meltdown? What is going on in America? What started this division that we're now going through? Well, there's been division in this country for a long time, But now it seems to be a little more deeper, maybe a little more anger out there. Joining us on our Newsmaker Line to talk about it is Victor Davis Hanson, an author, historian, joining us on our Newsmaker Line. Victor, how are you? Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Where did it all start? Victor, what do you think? Well, we were, I think it started, the racial
3: division, I think, started with Obama when he he redefined, the black-white binary that we were working to heal the years of, you know, the centuries of slavery, Jim mm-hmm, Crow, and he mm-hmm. came up with non-white and white, so that meant that regardless of class or money, we were going to adjudicate everything on skin color. So you could be a multimillionaire from India, you could be an Argentine lawyer, you could be a Jamaican n- neurosurgeon, but you were want to be oppressed by virtue of your skin. And then we had that perfect storm with, the pandemic. And we were lied to about the pandemic and its origins. Nobody in their right mind did not think there was a connection. Everybody knew there was a connection between that and the lab. And our elite lied to us about that. And then we had the lockdown that was supposed to level the uh, curve for three weeks. We were never given very much accurate information from the CDC or Dr. Fauci or the WHO. And we had our first self-induced recession, we've never done that before. And all the work of three years was suddenly washed away. It was an election year and everybody was tense because we were gonna have apparently a hundred million ballots that were not going to be cast on election day. Sixty three percent. We've never done that in our history. Add in the George Floyd tragic death and the hundred and twenty days of rioting, two billion dollars in property damage, twenty five killed, fourteen thousand people arrested and mostly let go. And then you had the, uh, two impeachments and the January 6th. You add all of that together, but I think especially the idea where people were locked in and these pre-existing fault lines separated as if they were the San Andreas fault. And, um, so it was a catalyst. It wasn't, it didn't create the problem we're having, but it, it gave it an opportunity to really explode in a way we've never seen. We've never seen things like this in my lifetime. I haven't.
2: So, Victor, was it, was it the pandemic? Can you say it was the pandemic, it was COVID-19, and how we reacted to it, which just added fuel to this fire we were already starting to, under, to, to see what was going on? Yeah, I think so. I think
3: people were so confused, terrified by this virus, they didn't get accurate information. Then they were shut down. I think we're going to learn that the cost of the quarantine was, is going to be greater than the tragic deaths from COVID, but we'll see. And then we had the, this recession and George Floyd and all, all the things I mentioned. And I think people just kind of went crazy and they said and did things that they hadn't before. And I don't think anybody in our government realized the cost when you take tens of millions of people and you isolate them and their information is gleaned only from a computer or television, they don't interact with people, and they sort of develop conspiracies and fantasies and anger. But if you looked at it empirically, there was no reason why from 2008 to 2020 we would have a racial problem. We had record low unemployment among minorities. We never Mm -hmm. had that low unemployment. We had uh, first black president, first black vice president. We had... (laughs) In uh, the Carolinas, we had two black candidates, Democrat and Republican, rerun- running for lieutenant governor. It was there was nothing even remotely approximating things in the '60s, '70s, or '80s or '90s. It was almost as if the closer we got to near parity between all of different all these different groups, the angrier people got that they weren't at perfection. And uh, a lot of people got scared. The council, I think, social media really is a Force multiplier, mm-hmm, sort of mm-hmm. electronic mob where you don't take responsibility and, and mm-hmm. anonymity—you just sort of destroy somebody. But we didn't have anybody that came out and said, "I don't care what you say. I don't care what you say about canceling me. I'm not going to back down. Yeah. I'm going to go back to the message of Martin Luther King." And even so, it was all of it—the military, the CIA, the FBI hierarchy—they've all become woke. It's almost as if. It was like that old movie, The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. (laughs) Wall Street, the corporate boardroom, entertainment, professional sports. One day they were pretty normal, and the next thing they're just crazy. Uh And they say, you know, Delta and Coca Cola saying that you know, asking a a mere request to show an ID to vote, which a lot of blue states do. Suddenly that was racist.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or so I, I think there was a lot of catalyst to it. Victor, you mentioned race relations, and we have come a long, long way. But why all of a sudden, where you had black Americans saying, well, you haven't gotten far enough, or you really haven't made that much progress, and white Americans say, well, we think we have, we know we probably need to do more, but we think we've done a pretty good job. How did those those paths go in such different directions all of a sudden? I
3: think there was this, uh, well, it's I think we forgot the word class. So all of a sudden, we said nobody said this is ridiculous for a multi-billionaire Oprah to be talking to a multi-millionaire Meghan Markle, one in a fifteen million dollar mansion, the other in a ninety million dollar, whining <laughs> about being maltreated while Brock and Michelle, worth a hundred and fifty million, come in from their fourteen million dollar uh, Martha's Vineyard to wine, 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 and then LeBron and. You know, tweets about police being da 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 da, and he's worth a billion dollars, and no one said, "Wait a minute, you people are pampered." At the 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 real divide are between lower middle class blacks and lower middle class whites, and the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Bill Gates and the Michael Bloomberg's and all you people who lecture us, and we just completely forgot about class. And the left said, "You know what?" We never were successful Marxists because of upward mobility and fluidity in America. So we're going to go back to the idea of one sixteenth drop. If you are, if you can prove you're not white, you're a permanent victim, no matter how wealthy or powerful you are, and you have complaints against society at large. You can be very wealthy, privileged. Your, you, as far as slavery goes, your great great grandmother may have been the first person in your family to be slave. As far as your oppressor goes, he may never have had anybody in his family that uh, participated in Jim Crow or slavery. It doesn't matter. He is he is deemed white, and he's on the other side of this binary. Mm-hmm. And, and that's uh that's the stuff of revolution and mayhem and chaos in history. Mm-hmm. And nobody stopped and said, "Let's go back to class differences." And if you think there's going to be oppression, let's let's just look at the white uh, forklift driver who's unemployed in Dayton, Ohio, and try to say that he has more privilege than Oprah. Make that argument. And I don't think they can. Yeah, they
2: and certainly so, can't. Victor, as always, so great chatting with you. A lot of it. Yeah. Thank you, Victor. Thank you. We always appreciate your time. Yeah. On our, on our newsmaker line, that's Victor Davis Hanson, author, historian, talking about the genesis of the American Meltdown. All right, more coming up on the Rod Arquette Show and Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9, KNRS, listen, and you'll know. All right, looking ahead to your future, if you're planning a retirement, do you have a plan in place? Maybe you're already working with a financial advisor, but it never hurts to get a second opinion. And when you approach retirement, there are a lot of questions out there that need to be answered. And the wonderful team at Trajan Wealth, their educators, remember, can help you find answers to those questions. Questions like, How do I know if I have enough money to retire? What about my money if I die? Will it be subject to probate? When is the best time to draw Social Security? How will I be impacted by losing my health care coverage? Those are a lot of questions that will come to mind. And the team at Trajan Wealth can help you out. They are a full-service financial services company. They can help you with your taxes. They can help you with your trust or your will. They can help you with your 401k and answer all those questions that you may have about Social Security. What do you need to do? You need to set up an appointment with them today. Reach out to Trajan Wealth. They have an office in Draper, 801-899-7600, 801-899-7600, or online at TrajanWealth.
9: Columbus Travel, 800-373-3328 or online
7: at columbusvacations.com.
2: All right, coming up, a reminder. Welcome back to the Rod Show. by the way, here on Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen, you'll know. Just about another 10 minutes from now, we will give you another chance to win $1,000 in cash. It is the hot $1,000 summer cash giveaway here on Talk Radio 105 KNRS. Listen for the winning keyword, and when you hear it, text it to 200-200. That's 200-200. All right, now, uh, one other thing. Boy, so many people get ideas for their home when they go on these Parade of Homes. Well, right now, we have a four-pack of tickets to the Northern Wasatch Parade of Homes. It runs July 9th, starting, what, this weekend, through July 24th. We have a four-pack of tickets to give away. If you want to take a look at some of these fantastic homes, we need caller number five. Let's say caller number five right now, 888 570 888 570 caller number five, and you'll win yourself a four-pack of tickets to the Northern Wasatch Parade of Homes. Again, it opens up on July 9th and it runs through July 24th. So check it out. A four-pack of tickets could be yours right now. Caller number 5, 888 888 Give us a call right now. All right, um, I'm going to save this audio for later. I don't think I have enough time to get this audio piece in right now. E-Ray is telling me that right now. But I do want to bring this story up. Uh, this may lead into what we're going to be talking about with you in the, uh, in the 5 o'clock hour. And it... This is totally unnecessary. Whoever is doing this, he doesn't have to do it. He has a right to do it, but you don't have to do it. The story out of Mumford, Tennessee. It is a small town there in Tennessee, and the mayor of that town says he is basically powerless, and he is, to order a local resident to take down a flag with a very profane message about President Joe Biden and his supporters. The flag, which hangs on the resident's private property, states F Biden and F U for voting for him. All right. Now, according to a local television station there, the mayor of Mumford, his name is Dwayne Cole, says he's received several complaints about the flag over the past month from residents who found it offensive. The mayor had the city attorney even look into the matter, and the city found that the homeowner...
0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void are prohibited by law. See terms and conditions
2: 18 plus. Well, guess what? In this country, he has a constitutional right to fly the flag on his property. The mayor said it's vile, it's vulgar, but is protected speech under the Constitution of the United States. If I had the authority to make him take it down, I would definitely do that. But he doesn't have that authority. It's called the right to free speech, right? Cole says he met with the homeowner about the flag. The homeowner says he has no intention of taking it down. All right, when we
1: come back, we'll talk about charges. Patient
4: text and info.
1: Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's grand to 200-200.
2: Well, you just heard the man. Text the word GRAND to 200-200 right now for your chance to win $1,000 in our hot $1,000 summer cash giveaway. Again, text the word GRAND to 200-200. It's that easy. And you could be a winner. The Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Listen and you'll know. All right. Welcome back. Hour number two of the Rod Arquette Show. Back from our four-day July 4th holiday break. And it was wonderful. Went to Parades had a barbecue, saw the fireworks. You know, there are a lot of people out there who use the occasion to tell America that we suck. I don't think we suck. I, I think I, I saw a lot of people at the parades. Uh, the parade in Cadesville was longer than we've had in past years. A lot of people just want to get out and have a good time. And you saw the crowd down at the uh, Freedom Festival Parade and then the Stadium of Fire event uh, and all over the state. You saw fireworks going off. And by the way, you know, a lot of people, we, we didn't need, uh, even though I know there were some people calling it, for a statewide ban on the use of personal fireworks. We were asked numerous times by the governor and other people in the state, don't use personal fireworks this year. And the reports are that Utah has listened. See, you don't need to, you know, place restrictions in front of people. The fireworks stands, by the way, said their business was brisk again this year. But you don't need a law, you don't need a policy, appeal to the fairness and common sense of people here in the state of Utah, and they will figure it out for themselves. And that's exactly what they did, and people listened. We did. Wait, Like I said, we didn't buy personal fireworks this year. We have in the past, not big ones. There were some who did, but they were being very, very safe. But for the most part, we didn't have a big wildfire because of the fireworks this year. So, so far, so good. And let's keep, hope we can keep it up through uh, July 24th. All right. Um, my, my question this hour is, have they gone too far with this? In, in my opinion, I, th- I tend to think they have. Uh, and, and I'm talking about the charges that have been have now been filed against 11 protesters. Now, they showed up at a Granite School Board meeting back on May 4th. And they were protesting the district's continued um, requirement that kids going to school wear a mask. Well, it was learned now that 11 people who were involved in that meeting back in May have been charged with disrupting a public meeting. That is a misdemeanor punishable by up to a year in jail and a $2,500 fine. According to the story today in the Salt Lake Tribune, court documents for each of the individuals filed late last week alleged that they were among the group of protesters to prevent or disrupt the lawful meeting by ignoring rules of the proceeding, yelling over speakers, and charging to the front of the room. I didn't see any charging to the front of the room in the video that I've seen. Maybe going to the microphone could be viewed as charging to the front of the room. But I didn't see anybody going up on the desk and going after the school board members. Maybe it did happen. I didn't see it. But my question to you, well, before we, we talk about if this is right or wrong, let's go back to that meeting on May 4th. And, E. Ray, if you'll play this audio, this is at the district's offices in South Salt Lake. Now, this goes on for five or six or seven minutes. I'm not going to play all of that. I'm going to play a portion of it. And then you will talk about this and if charges should be filed.
10: All right, we're actually gonna close. You haven't signed up, ma'am. We're gonna close citizen participation. You let a senator come up here and speak in the name of my children, who you guys are abusing? Are you serious? Yep. Yep. We've had our citizen participation. We're gonna follow. We have had that. Lord, Continue our board meeting if he Yep, we do need to continue.
7: We have board business to conduct. Yep.
10: I told you. I move that we adjourn this meeting.
4: I'll second. We have a motion to adjourn and a second. All in favor say aye. 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 Aye.
2: Aye. 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 Now, there's a portion of what happened at that meeting back on May 14th. And you can see, or you can hear, you know, people got carried away. Emotions were very, very high at the time. And this was a time where people were getting sick and tired of all the mask mandates and all the restrictions. This was in May earlier this year. We were coming to the end of it, but I think a lot of parents have said enough's enough here. And they went to the school board meeting. And now 11 11 of them have been charged with disrupting the school board meeting. Now, there were other meetings around the state that were very similar to this. I remember the one in Utah County where people were actively protesting and saying, enough is enough here. We've had it here. No charges were filed there, were there? So why in the Granite School District were these charges filed? Was it necessary? Now, 11 people have been charged, okay? And as I said, the uh, the fine is a it's a misdemeanor. It's punishable by up to a year in jail and a $2,500 fine, okay? Was it really necessary? Now, maybe a charge against the man who you heard shouting. But was that necessary? I mean, we have, let's see, this May, June, July, okay? Could you not have just let this pass on, okay, and let this go? What are you going to achieve in in the Granite School District, and in South Salt Lake. I think that's where the uh, charges have been filed. I mean, what do you going to do you, do? you think people aren't going to show up at meetings anymore and not voice their opinion? Do you honestly believe that's what's going to happen? By filing these charges today, I think I would have let it just kind of fade into the sunset very, very quietly. I don't think anybody was injured. Yeah, emotions got a little carried away, but they have during this entire COVID-19 pandemic. They've all said, we are tired of this. I've t- I, I, you know, we talked about this last year, that COVID fatigue was starting to set in. COVID fatigue, I think, turned to COVID anger. And these parents went to a school board meeting and simply said, we have had enough. No more masks for our children. And there's a study out today. I don't know if I have it in front of me. It's got it somewhere in my stack of stuff. Maybe during a break, I can dig it out. But it shows that kids who are forced to wear masks in a very short period of time are exposed to dangerous levels of carbon monoxide by wearing a mask. And there's a lot of research out there that shows for kids, wearing a mask, totally unnecessary. So you have parents who said, wait a minute. Researchers from the very beginning, from the very beginning, said kids are not in danger of getting covid not in danger of spreading it. So there is no need to wear a mask. Yet health officials and school officials continue to impose them. And these people in the Granite School District said, you know what, we're tired of it, we want it stopped. And yes, our emotions got carried away a little bit, but be charged... I want to get your opinion on it. 888-570-8010 888 570 on your cell phone dial pound
11: new each time you listen listen and subscribe for free to newt's world on the iheart radio app or wherever you get your podcasts
2: all right welcome back to the rudder catch on this tuesday afternoon um, Was it necessary? That's the question I have before you uh, this afternoon as you drive home. It was learned that late last week, uh, 11 protesters who showed up at a uh, May 4th meeting of the Granite School Board of Education have now been charged with disrupting the meeting. Uh, They're charged with disrupting a public meeting, and what that means, it's a misdemeanor, by the way, punishable by up to a year in jail and a $2,500 fine. Uh, The court documents for each of the individuals, as I mentioned, they were filed last week. Uh, According to the Tribune, a tribune alleged that they were among a group of protesters who intended to prevent or disrupt the lawful meeting by ignoring the rules of the proceeding, yelling over speakers, and charging to the front of the room. I didn't see any of that. I did see some people stand up. But I didn't see anybody going after the school board. Now, maybe someone saw differently. I wasn't there, and I only have the video to depend on. My question is... Was this really necessary? I mean, could you have let this just kind of settle, let the dust settle here for a while? And was it necessary to file charges? What are they attempting to do in the Granite School District and in South Salt Lake, who I believe is the jurisdiction that filed these charges? 888-570-8010, 888-570-8010. On your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod, love to get your comments. Let's go to the phones right now and talk with Joni in Riverton tonight. Joni, how are you? Welcome to the show.
4: I'm good. How are you, Rod? I'm
2: great. Thank you, Uh, you Jenny. You're
4: you're asking if this should have been done. This is a microcosm of the liberal agenda. If you do not fall into place, they will punish you. And last time I checked, the Constitution allowed us to assemble and to protest. And I don't understand why more people are not seeing what is happening. You know, whenever I go to the doctor, they say, are you going to get your COVID? No, I'm not. And the people who haven't gotten their COVID, we're all willing to take the risk, but we know there is very little risk. Mm -hmm. This is just, this is just control. It's all government control. And I was reading today about the Lincoln Project. They are pushing for a one party system in our country. Yes, they are. They want to eliminate two parties. They want us to have one party that's called communism, and they're getting away with it. It's scaring the heck out of me, to be honest.
2: Well, and, Joni, I mean, think about other protests that took, around, took place around the state during all of this, COVID-19 and the mask mandates. There were people who were very loud, very boisterous. I mean, this, they, they, they had a lot of passion about this. They were very upset with what they saw government doing to them. Have any of them been charged? I, there have been other protests. So why in the Granite School District did they have to be charged, Joni? That's what I'm wondering.
4: Was anyone, was anyone charged in the BLM um, oh. problem? Uh, you know, nobody went to jail for any of that. And well, that was looting and rioting and death. No, there
2: were know? there were some charges filed against those who caused the damage. But there were other protests and yelling going on. Nobody got charged in any of those. You're right. There is a different standard. I agree with you, Joni. Let's go back to the phones. Let's talk with uh, Sandy in American Fort. Sandy, how are you? Welcome to the show.
5: Hi, Rod. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, I don't know if this idea would fly, but it's an idea for how communities can actually hold these schools accountable for what they're trying to do with our children, which is our children, and that is teachers are required to be certified for the subjects that they teach.
10: Mm-hmm.
5: That's my understanding. So if school districts are towing the line to teach this critical race theory in our schools, then they should be having people who are certified to teach that, and this would stop those schools from requiring faculty training meetings and district training meetings with this critical race theory uh, malarkey, but um, not subjecting all these teachers to this and forcing those teachers to implement that into their curriculums, too. I think they would be restricted in how they could implement this critical race theory instruction in the schools, and there would be more accountability because there would be a narrower field to focus on. You know about it, what's being taught with critical race theory.
2: You know what, Sandy? I think that they is should a tr- to the school yeah. district. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful idea, Sandy. As a matter of fact, thank you very much for your phone call, by the way. If we can, if we have time. Dan, do you have this uh, will you uh, Dan, if you're listening, do you have this soundbite? Uh he's tied up right now. We'll have uh, I want to run this soundbite, Dan. I think it's soundbite number one on the button bar. Uh Sandy was just talking about critical race theory. There was a father, his name is Ian Rice. And he addressed his school board, and I believe I'm trying to find out exactly where this. said, well, that doesn't matter. But he appeared before the school board. Now, Ian Rice is black. His, white, his wife is white. And he approached the school board and talked about critical race theory and the fact that it teaches his daughter that her mother is evil because she is white. I mean, he basically told the board that the district has failed, And it it's actually taught should be taught at the collegiate level, and not at the high school or grade school level. Because guess what, teachers are not qualified to teach it.
11: The problem with bringing it to high school and grade school level is that we don't have the educators to properly teach these kids. Instead, they're using it as their own agenda to indoctrinate the kids to hate each other. And whether you believe that to be true or not, the reality is that's what's happening. Critical race theory is teaching that white people are bad. That's not true. That would teach my daughter that her mother is evil. Hmm. You already have an educator within your staff that has pulled my daughter aside and said, well, you're a minority. So you know better than to engage in certain things. Wow. 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 When I was brought to the school's attention, nothing happened to the educator. Instead, my daughter was brought in, and she was ridiculed. So my question is now, with critical race theory being brought in, what is your criteria to educate the educators? And who are you to educate my children, or any of our children, in life issues? That's our job. Your job is to teach them math and science. Our job is to teach them about life. I believe Mm -hmm. racial issues and tensions across the U.S. are nowhere near what they used to be decades ago. Do we have a long way to go? Sure. Do we still have individuals out there that need to be taught? Absolutely. But I believe the people here don't look at me as a black man. They look at me as a man standing in front of you addressing the issue that we all are very passionate
2: about. Interesting. Interesting, is it? As Ian Rice he's the father. All right, let's go back to the phones. Let's talk with uh, Delane in Bountiful tonight here in the Rod Show. Delane, how are you? Welcome.
5: I am doing so well. Thank you so, so much, Rod. I just wanted to say it's interesting that those who are in positions of power exert this kind of tyranny. The the people who are charging parents, parents who love and are the lionesses at the gate and lions at the gate for their children are charging them while they have been absolutely abusing our children for the last year and a half and have violated the law because it is against the law for them to require a medical device on our children. It is nothing short of abusive and I just find it so I mean it's more than ironic. I I don't have another word for it but evil. I think that the school board members and the state school board members who have sat back and done nothing to protect our children, they should be in prison for ten years. And I am very serious. I don't think what they have done to our children to to Hurt them physically, hurt them emotionally, hurt them socially. I don't know if our children will, will recover. I pray that they will. But I, I think those are the people who should be in jail myself. Thank you,
2: no. All right, Delaine. Thank you very much for your opinion. By the way, coming up a little bit later on in the show, we'll talk with a, uh, the editor, uh, senior editor at Reason Magazine, Reason.com. And he talks about the fact, where would we be today in this whole COVID pandemic? without the Constitution of the United States. Now, remember, when the pandemic first came out, and, um, and all these health officials and government leaders were imposing all these mandates on us, shutting down the economy, you know, uh, shutting down schools, uh, closing businesses, telling people they had to wear masks. And at first, the American people, not many Americans, were speaking out. We go, whoa, oh, you can't do that. Right? But over time the American people started thinking, wait a minute, you can't do that. That goes against our basic rights, and people started taking them to court. And guess what? Judges, using the Constitution, found many of these restrictions were unconstitutional and starting toss- started tossing them out right and left. That's why we have the Constitution. All right, more of your calls and comments coming up. 888-570-8010. 888-570-8010. On your cell phone, dial pound two fifteen. and say, hey, Rod. Eleven protesters, anti-mask protesters, at a Granite School Board meeting back in May. They were kind of loud. They were noisy. They disrupted the meeting. The school board chickened out and canceled it, have now been charged. Was that the right thing to do? 888-570-8010 or on your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say, hey, Rod. Now, let me talk to you about your vision right now. Imagine this, reading the menu with ease in a dimly lit restaurant without having to reach for your readers. Or like me, you're playing golf, you hit the ball straight for once in your life, way down the fairway, and you don't lose track of it because you can see it all of a sudden. You could see all of this and so much more with modern cataract surgery at Hoops Vision. Today's advanced trifocal lenses mean that you can enjoy every facet of your life with sharp, clear, unrestricted vision, just like I do now, thanks to the cataract surgery I had done at Hoops Vision. Their vision specialists, well, they're among the nation's leading cataract surgeons with decades of experience and thousands of very satisfied customers just like me. If you have cloudy or blurred vision, don't miss another moment. Why not call him today and set up your one-on-one cataract surgery consultation today. See every moment with a vision that you deserve with the help of Hoops Vision. Call him today, 877 30
11: Something new each time you listen. Listen and subscribe for free to Newt's World on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
10: One man,
11: one goal.
2: The Rod Arquette Show
0: on Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS.
2: All right, welcome back to the Rod Arquette Show on this uh, Tuesday afternoon. Back from our uh, four-day holiday break, and it was wonderful, by the way. Great chance to uh, get off the grid a little bit and enjoy the uh, July 4th festivities. Went to the parade, the Keysville Fruit Heights Parade. They always put on a nice parade there. I've never figured out what this... Is this a Utah tradition, a Western tradition? When I was a kid growing up, going to parades in my hometown, and I grew up in upstate New York, they never threw out candy.
8: With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: But they do it this parade and at other parades. I've been, matter of fact, (laughs) you want a cute story? My wife grew up in a very, very small town in southeast Idaho, Bancroft, Idaho, population 360 max, right? They had a parade. Now, here's the great thing about their parade, and this is why we used to take our kids to it. They go down Main Street, very small Main Street, they have a parade, they throw candy, they turn around and come back a second time and throw candy again. And kids absolutely, absolutely love it. But uh, it was great. Fourth of July, went to the parade, had a family barbecue, went out and saw the fireworks. And I understand Leighton had a great event uh, yesterday, and it was just nice to get back out. So all of those people out there, and I think we may have a few in this audience, not very many of you, who think July 4th is the holiday that we should just do away with because you hate America— and there are a lot of Americans who like to get out there and celebrate. Wasn't it Benjamin Franklin who said get out there with all kinds of events and do it? You should definitely do that. Now, um, if you're just joining us now, lines are open up to you, 888 888 or on your cell phone, dial pound 215, say A-Rod. Hey, I want to take you back to a meeting back held on May 4th of this year, where a group of very concerned parents went before the Granite School Board They were holding their their monthly or bimonthly meeting, probably a monthly meeting. But they were raising questions about why the school district continues to demand that they wear masks. Now, the demonstration and the disruption, so to speak, went on for several minutes. I'm not going to play all of it, but I want to play a portion of what happened. And then we'll talk about if you think 11 people who were there should be now charged with disrupting the meeting. Here's what it sounded like.
10: All right, we're actually gonna close. You haven't signed up, ma'am. We're gonna close citizen you participation. You let a senator come up here and speak in the name of my children, who you guys are yep. abusing? Are you serious? Yep. yep. We've had our citizen participation. We're gonna follow. We've we're to we have had that. Lord, We told you. Remember this day. This continue our
7: board meeting. If you, yep, we do need to continue. We have board business to conduct. It's it.
3: yep. this is
5: what the truth of You all know it. I told you.
10: No more now. No more all right. No more No more I move that we adjourn this meeting.
4: I'll second. We have a motion to adjourn and a second. All in favor, say aye. Aye.
10: Aye. 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 Aye.
2: Aye. Aye. And the school board then adjourned the meeting. Now, 11 people who were there have now been charged with disrupting the meeting. And they could they, they could pay a fine of twenty five hundred dollars or it's misdemeanor, it could be punished by a year in jail. And I hope a judge doesn't go that far. As a matter of fact, I I think they should have just let the dust settle on this one. And I don't know what it is about some people in elective offices who say, Well, we have got to you know, we have got to enforce the law. We're not gonna let them get away with this. How dare they interrupt this meeting? Should they have interrupted the meeting? Probably not. There was probably a better way to go about this. But remember what was going on back in May. More and more people were getting very, very frustrated with everything that was going on when it came to COVID. The economy had tanked. Not so much here in Utah because we were wise in the way we handled things. People were sick and tired of wearing masks. Sick and tired of not being able to go to their favorite restaurant or do a movie because of all these mandates. They let off a little steam at the school board meeting. Was it the right thing to do? Probably not. But you know what? They have a right to express their opinion. And now they're being punished for expressing that opinion. To whoever filed these charges, why not just let it slowly go away? No one was injured. Yeah, some voices were raised. Maybe some things were said. Maybe some farm words we're tossed around during this. But you know what? There was no need to do this. It's what, three, four months now, since it's all happened. Just let it go. Am I right or wrong? 888-570-8010. 888-570-8010. On your cell phone, dial pound two fifteen. That's eight hundred-eight eight five forty eight eighty-four. Eight hundred-eight eight five forty eight eighty four. All right, welcome back to the Rudder Show on this Tuesday afternoon here on Utah's Talk Radio 105.9. KNRS listening, you'll know. Coming up in the uh, 6 o'clock hour, we'll talk about gas prices. No end in sight to $3 a gallon gasoline. Get ready for it. going to be around for a little while. We'll talk about water management here in the state of Utah. Are you ready to pay more for the water you use? It could be coming your way, and we'll talk more about How the Constitution saved us from all these COVID-19 restrictions. That's coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. Right now, if you're just joining us, 11 anti-mask protesters uh, who disrupted a meeting of the Granite School Board back on May 4th have now been charged with disrupting the meeting. They could face a fine of up to $2,500. It's a misdemeanor. Could be spending a year in jail. Why not just drop it? I don't understand why the need to do all of this, what they're trying to do in the Granite Granite School District. Not their decision. I think it's the city attorney's decision. But it's not necessary to file these charges, in my opinion. Agree or disagree. 888-570-8010. On your cell phone, dial pound two fifteen. and say, Hey, Rod, back to the phones we go. Let's talk with Al in Salt Lake City. Al, how are you? Thanks for joining us.
10: Thank you, sir.
7: I think that the charges should be dropped. Don't even know why they got filed. Let's take a look at all the states and the cities that are actually not prosecuting looters and everybody else, and they know exactly who they are. And we're going to sit there because they got hurt feelings that we want to charge these individuals. They need to be dropped.
2: Yeah, I would agree with you, Al. I, I I just don't see a need for it. Uh, I you know okay, you know uh, a spokesman for the district, uh, Ben Horsley, is quoted in the Salt Lake Tribune article as saying he compared the protesters' actions to the riot at the Utah or at the US Capitol in January. Really Ben, you're comparing a, a group of parents angry about their children having to wear a mask to school to the rioters to the US Capitol back on January 6th? Bit of a stretch, isn't it? He said they came in, took the spots on the stand and held a mock meeting for several minutes before they left the building. Now, the Tribune reports that there were four police officers from South Salt Lake and Granite District, they were at the meeting. Part of security efforts, right? Uh, and they decided not to arrest anyone at the time to avoid aggravating the confrontation. So, how does this serve to end the confrontation or to end the dispute? It doesn't by dropping these charges. Um, you know, there was you know they investigate eleven people. Okay, so you're, you're so you're shouting no more masks during a meeting. And apparently, that gets you in trouble. What are happened to free speech in this country? You know, and yeah, should they have done it? Probably not, you know. But, you know, don't, don't charge them. Don't make them face the possibility of a year in jail. I don't think it will come to that. Don't make them a, pay a fine of, what is it, $2,500? Totally unnecessary, in my opinion. There are better ways to handle it. You know, I've never been in a meeting like this. Well, I've covered meetings like this for sure where people are upset, but I haven't been in charge of the meeting like these school board members were. Did they do the right thing and just calling the meeting off? You know, let the people have their say, deal with them and say, okay, we're going to give you a minute or two more to express your opinion. Do you agree with that? And if they agree with that, let them state their opinion, then say thank you. We've given you extra time because obviously this is an issue that you're very passionate about, we are definitely going to give you a little bit more time. And at the end of the time, we would ask that you respect our decision and let's carry on with our meeting. And that's what they could have done. Now, there was one man, and I don't know if he's ever been identified, who was really shouting during this meeting, maybe he's the guy you go after. I'm not sure. But the 10 other people who raised objections to all of this, I, I, I don't see a reason for it. Drop the charges. Let's move on. And there have been other meetings all around the state and around the country. And have you heard of anyone else being charged with disrupting a meeting? I haven't. And I, I, I'm just not sure why the Granite School District feels they need to do this. But apparently, they do. And apparently, the Granite School District feels that the right to free speech is not part of the Constitution, at least in the Granite School District. Because they've decided to say, we're not going to deal with you anymore. We're done with this. You're out of here. And we're going to fine you. And we're going to punish you. And make sure you never do that again. And oh, by the way, anyone else in this state who does anything like this again Look at the example that we've set in the Granite School District. And school districts, if you see something like this happen again, or if it happens in your district, go to your attorney, go to the city attorney, go to the county attorney, whoever is in charge in all of this, and get charges filed. Because we're going to show them who's in charge, and we're going to put a stop to it. And that's exactly what the Granite School District and I guess South Salt Lake we're trying to do with this. Totally unnecessary should have been dropped. All right, when we come back, we'll talk about those gas prices. Are they going to stay overnight lows will be in the 70s and on Thursday, 100 to 104 degrees. I'm Sterling
11: Paulson for KUTV 2 News.
2: We're live, we're local, and we're everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. I've been sitting here for the last couple of minutes and listening to Abby's newscast, trying to figure out how in radio we could work a four-day work week. I don't know if we can do it in radio or in television. I couldn't do it in social media. But you know, this idea of a four-day work week, when you have a three-day weekend, it just, I don't know, it just charges you up a little bit. Don't know if it ever happened in broadcasting. Probably not, but... Uh, But kind of an interesting idea to think about, isn't it? All right, um, are you ready for this? Joe Biden, first day in office. What did he do? He revoked the permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. First day in office, right? The move appeased the climate change hog, but it resulted in, of course, thousands and thousands of really hardworking construction workers losing their jobs. Well, now the owner of the Keystone pipeline, the company that was in charge of building it, TC Energy, the Canadian-based company, is seeking to recover more than $15 billion in damages caused by Joe Biden's cancellation permit. And guess who's on the hook for it? (laughs) Ha ha ha, you got it. We are the American taxpayer. In a news release last week, the company said this. It had filed a notice of intent to institute a legacy North American free trade agreement claim under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement to recover economic damages Resulting from the revocation of the pipeline's permit. And we would be on the hook for fifteen billion dollars. Thanks, Joe Biden. Well, what kind of gas prices did you run into this weekend? I told you last week I filled up and I paid three fifty five a gallon at a Costco. Prices are much higher. I saw gas going for almost seven dollars a gallon down in California. Elsewhere is up as well. Is there a end in sight? To gas above three dollars a gallon my next guest says not for a little while patrick dehan is a senior petroleum analyst at gasbuddy.com patrick how are you welcome back to the show you said on fox news over the weekend patrick that it's very likely that uh gas at three dollars a gallon is going to hang around for a while what leads you to believe this
7: Well, you know, for now, the price of oil does continue to go up over the weekend. OPEC met and agreed Well, They didn't really agree. In fact, they had a bit of a falling out uh, when it comes to raising oil production. Earlier today, as a result of that uh, walkout that happened at the OPEC meeting, oil prices earlier shot up to about $77 a barrel. Now, with the rest of the market, oil is down slightly today after that big rally early on. Now we're back down to about $73 a barrel. But that highlights the fundamental issue of the market that continues to push prices up. Very high demand is running into not enough supply,
2: and that's continued to push oil higher. What is the issue with OPEC? Do you have some countries that want to increase supplies, others that don't? What is the issue before OPEC right now, Patrick?
7: Well, that's essentially it, just disagreement. Uh, In the latest disagreement here over the weekend, the United Arab Emirates uh was a little bit upset with Saudi Arabia. Uh they both want to increase oil production, but the UAE is upset that Saudi Arabia isn't considering the fact that their oil production has grown over the years and the UAE wanted uh the consortium, the cartel to uh to allow it to increase production based on the fact that its oil production has grown. So it's kind of like uh a fight about nothing here so to speak. They both agree uh, but uh, the UAE wants to produce more crude oil than Saudi Arabia and the rest of OPEC is willing to go
2: along with. Has something changed? Because I want to think about a couple of years ago that there were many Americans who believed we were no longer dependent on OPEC and what they did because America's energy industry was back, we could meet our own demands. Did that never really happen, and is that not the case today?
7: Well, OPEC has had uh, varying amounts of uh, uh, of of impact on the overall oil market. Their relevance has wavered over the years with the rise of U.S. oil production. Uh, But now, with U.S. oil production some 2 million barrels a day lower than where it was pre-COVID, OPEC has more relevance. Um, It's not anything the administration has done, but the oil industry here in the U.S. simply uh, has chosen to take its time in increasing production back up. Uh, And as a result, OPEC has more clout amongst oil producers
2: why are they why is the u s industry taking its time and getting back up
7: well it's a privatized industry. it can go as slow as it wants uh there's nothing state mandated unlike uh, OPEC countries which uh, have o- uh, state owned oil companies that make state decisions the u s oil industry is not organized uh that certainly would be an issue uh, of a monopoly or I should say. Um, it would be an issue of uh, uh, anti-competitive uh, measures if they speak and they and they um, manipulate the market by, you know, mm-hmm. openly saying if they're going to raise production or whatnot. But it, it simply, uh, it's simply twofold. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that the oil industry was severely hit last year with low prices and low demand – is likely the biggest culprit why they are taking their time now to increase production again.
2: But it shouldn't, I mean, are, are they seeing an increase in demand? And does that prompt them in any way maybe to increase production? Are you seeing any signs of that right now?
7: Oh, certainly there is an increase in demand. Uh, but uh, keep in mind, too, that as a result of the low price and low demand last year, the oil industry let go of tens of thousands of workers. Uh, so now we could be talking about labor challenges to bring oil production back online as well.
2: You mentioned the administration a month ago, and a lot of people think of Keystone and the fact that Biden has shut that down and he's pushing climate change. Has that had any impact right now, Patrick, on either U.S. or worldwide oil production and consumption?
7: Not yet. And the reason for that is the Keystone pipeline was not online yet. Uh, It was going to be a pipeline for the future. But since oil production is not yet uh, back to pre-COVID levels, uh, there's really no need for a pipeline. Uh, there's ample capacity because U.S. producers aren't producing as much as they were prior to COVID. In addition, uh, US, the U.S. oil uh, producers are not looking to drill on, on new land. Uh, like I said, they have reduced their uh, production by 2 million barrels a day voluntarily. That they could easily uh, go right back up to. But the problem right now is labor and the fact that uh, last year is, is still... Uh, is still so much of an impact on them.
2: You mentioned in your uh, interview on Fox Business with Neil Cavuto, Patrick, you mentioned that, you know, typically we hit the fall, vacations are over, kids are back in school, maybe Mm -hmm. we'll get workers back into the office at that time of year. What do you see happening by the fall here, Patrick? Any guess?
7: Well, if if the commute does come back this fall, if, if businesses reopen in mass, I, uh, I could see that driving demand or preventing it from falling as it usually does every autumn. That's the problem. Uh, coinciding with a stronger economy, well, uh, what we usually see almost every fall is lower prices because demand declines. But in the backdrop this year, because the overall recovery and the fact that uh, as time progresses, offices may reopen – That may prevent demand from falling, and it could prevent prices from falling significantly this autumn like they tend to do.
2: It's always been interesting to watch what happens during the hurricane season. We have that on the horizon as well, Patrick. How much of a role does that play in U.S. production?
7: Well, you know, when there's no hurricanes churning out in the tropics, it has no role. Uh, But as we've seen uh, since Hurricane Harvey really opened our eyes in 2017, that hurricanes can take direct aim at the U.S. oil industry, whether it's oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico that are built to withstand hurricanes, uh, or refineries that are on land that are not built to withstand hurricanes. There uh, is so much weather, and hurricanes are so significant in their size uh, that they can disrupt uh, the flow of uh, the normal flow of oil and gasoline, and thus have a profound impact on price.
2: So I guess it's just a wait and see attitude or wait and see approach when it comes to hurricanes, right?
7: It really is. Uh, you know, we've been told it's uh, going to be an above-active above season for activity, so, you know, kind of batten down the hatches and hope nothing happens.
2: Patrick Dahan, he is with GasBuddy.com, and we hope nothing major happens when it comes to hurricanes this season and affecting oil prices. It was interesting to note that American gasoline production, oil production, is down that far. What do you say, 2 million barrels a day? Simply because uh, the demand isn't there. Uh, or wasn't there a few months ago, Uh, a little bit because of Joe Biden, Uh, and, and the fact that we're now looking at OPEC yet again. Remember the days not long ago when America had that energy independence? That's what we were hoping for, right? Apparently not the case anymore. All right, when we come back, we'll talk about water management here in the state of Utah. Hey, guess what? We're in a drought. It is dry and hot out there. So what about the water that we'll need? We'll talk about that coming up this week on the free iHeart app, number one for music, radio, and podcasts all in one. Welcome back to the Radar Catch Show on this Tuesday evening on Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen, and you'll know another hot one today. Shows 97 degrees right now here at our iHeart Broadcast Facilities on the west side of the valley. We're headed for another hot, hot week, and we'll just deal with it as best we can. Of course, we're in a very severe drought, and uh, it, it is a, yeah, to me, it's still a modern miracle that uh, you look back over the years and the people who've designed all these systems to save as much water as they can to provide us when we have situations like this and really provide us water throughout the year, it's pretty amazing. But um, it also comes down to the importance of long-term water management here in this state. There are hundreds of different agencies that deal with the distribution and the management of water here in the state of Utah. And it's so important right now. Now, earlier today, Peter Reichert, president of the Utah Foundation, came into the studio, and we talked about water management here in the state of Utah. And as I began my conversation with Peter, I asked him, first of all, are people recognizing how important Uh, it is to conserve water right now, and do they fear this drought, or are they doing what they can? But I asked him if he feels people have now become very concerned about their drought situation we have here in the state.
0: And live the chum-a-life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
6: Seeing quite enough of that rain we've been praying for. <laughs> that, uh, that 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 it's kind of crescendoing. The, the concern is crescendoing. I think it is 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 beginning to to rise. Certainly over where it would have been a year ago.
2: Mm-hmm. I didn't realize, and thanks to your article, I understand this. The 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 water management system and all the agencies. I mean, it is. It is complicated to say the least, Peter. What What is it like out there?
6: Yeah, well, so back in 2019, we actually did at Utah Foundation um, a multi-part series looking at how we pay for water, mm-hmm. and it really took a long time to put that study together, those series of reports together, because there are over 300 water providers in our state, and not only that, they have overlapping jurisdictions, right where we are um, here in the studio, kind of in the northwest quadrant, Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. guess, of of the Salt Lake Valley. There are certain areas around here where you could live in a place where you're paying property taxes to three different water providers on top of paying (laughs) water rates.
2: Why is water so cheap here? Well... Right uh, now. That could change.
6: (laughs) Sure, sure. In part because we are subsidizing our water rates through property taxes. There are many places you could go to around the country where... Uh, Water is covered entirely through water rates, and here in Utah, we are heavily subsidizing them.
2: Mm -hmm. Is that going to have to change?
6: Well, if we're interested in conservation, we get a lot of leverage if we shift away from property taxes and towards water rates. Mm -hmm. Um, The more we have to rely on water rates, the higher the water rates will be, the lower the property taxes for water will be. Um, and it's economics 101 that the more people have to pay for something, the less they will use up. Mm-hmm. So from a conservation standpoint, and look, there are other, if you're a water entity, you might have other, other considerations you're worried about beyond just conservation. Let's be honest about that. But from a conservation standpoint, that shift to water rates uh, is, is, is important.
2: How do we do, in your opinion right now, on managing our water resources here in the state? Do we do a fairly good job?
6: Well, what are we? Yeah. You know, we are a collection of many, many different entities. Mm-hmm. And given the fact that we're the second driest state in the United States, we don't have that kind of centralized view and planning and, dare I say, control that you might expect given the circumstances. So you have many entities out there that are interdependent in ways that they probably don't appreciate. Mm-hmm. And they're not doing anything wrong necessarily. They're they were created each for their own purpose at a certain point in time, but certainly uh, it would be worthwhile to look at whether maybe consolidation. That's a question we need to ask. Mm-hmm. So some consolidation that would need to happen. Is there some kind of a statewide entity that 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 is a kind of a a, a water water provider wrangler that mm-hmm. kind of, you know. Gets control of everything. These are questions that we need to be asking ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying the answer is yes. I'm saying these are questions that we need to be taking. Seriously.
2: With all these different agencies and water districts out there, is there much coordination going on right now between any of them?
6: Well, it it depends. I mean, certainly it, um, on an ad, on an ad hoc basis, you have coordination that has to happen mm-hmm. because of these overlapping jurisdictions, for instance. Um, but uh, it's it's hard to when you've got that many and and they are operating in different ways. It's really hard to, uh, to just to say for sure, well, there's an adequate level of cooperation.
2: Mm-hmm. If this drought continues, uh, and we don't know if it is, we don't know what we'll get this, year, this winter, uh, it's going to take a wicked amount of snow this year to get us anywhere near back to normal, if it does. Mm-hmm. If, if the dryness continues that we're seeing now, Peter, do you think there'll be more pressure either from lawmakers or government leaders to do a better job at water management? Sure. I, think I mean, will is it be. going to have to happen?
6: Uh, it's, it, you know, look, if we get to a crisis uh, moment, some kind of action is going to need to be taken, some kind of uh, greater level of control. Um, and, and look, in the meantime, there are a lot of things that we could be doing individually and as institutions. Um, you know, large amounts of our water, not going for the purposes of drinking water or cooking or bathing. Yeah. They're going to water our lawns. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, your lawn can actually survive on very little water. It might not be pretty. Um, That's but, what they keep on telling us. <laughs> but my wife is going, our lawn is ugly right
2: now. <laughs> but you have to deal with that. Right,
6: right. And we have to think about, well, is, you know, are there different ways we should be doing our gardens? We love our greenery here in mm-hmm. Utah. It's mm-hmm. part of the culture. Mm-hmm but uh, opening up the playbook a little bit to look at some maybe different options for what our lawns are like mm-hmm. um, might be in order.
2: I remember years ago when my wife and I were living up in Seattle and we came we took a week or week and a half vacation to come down here and uh, I remember we left the irrigation system on up in our home up in Seattle and we got back and we were floored with the water bill and you sure. think Seattle and Washington but it's different up there the way they charge you for water. Will Utah's be accepting at some point that they're going to have to pay more for water?
6: It remains to be seen. I mean, certainly you would look at Seattle that has an endless supply of water. Yeah. I mean, it's all over the place up there, or used to be. (laughs) Yeah, you would think it would be cheap. But, you know, look, we have gotten very spoiled here in Utah because when we get that water bill and we open it up and, and it's $20 or $40 or whatever it is, that's not that's not what other people are paying around the country. And, and those other people have a lot more water than we do. Mm-hmm. You know, if you live in Boston or New Orleans, you might be paying north of $100 a month for your mm-hmm. water. Mm-hmm. They don't have any shortage of water, but it's a different way of paying for water.
2: Yeah. And is it going to take an education, some kind of education effort to explain to Utahns why this shift is necessary or why their rates are going up for them to accept? Sure. I think the key
6: is that, part of the argument here is going to have to be, well, guess what? Your property tax will go down. We're not going to make a bonanza off mm-hmm. of this. We're mm-hmm. going to raise the rates, but we're going to bring the property tax rates for water down um, commensurately.
2: Is this one of the biggest issues that Utah is going to have to face, Peter? As we grow and demand for water is out there, you see what's going on in southern Utah with St. George. Is this one of the most important issues that Utah is going to have to face in the future and and I'm not talking the distant future, I mean the immediate future when it comes to water and water supply
6: sure look it's it's water is a constraining factor on our growth, meaning that it has significant economic implications um, but beyond that, you know certainly if we do get to more of a crisis point we're talking about the survival of civilization here. I mean, mm-hmm. What could be more basic than mm-hmm. having water. an adequate supply yes. of water? And uh, and, and I, I will make one other point, you know, when we think about conservation, conservation is the cheapest way of, pr- of providing more water. More conservation buys you time to not have to, to tap into agricultural sources or to not have to build new infrastructure to reach new water sources. So, when you think about conservation, you can also think of it as a way of keeping public costs down.
2: He was in our studio a short time ago, Peter Reichert, president of the Utah Foundation, talking about uh, water management. Move or visit lendrightmortgage.com.
0: our catch show on Talk Radio
2: 105.9 KNRS. Final half hour. The are on our catch show with you on this uh, Tuesday. I keep on wanting to say a Monday, but I forgot we had a four-day break. But so we're back on Tuesday. Great to be with you. Don't forget the brand-new Jesse Kelly Show coming your way tonight at 7 o'clock right here on Utah's Talk Radio 105.9 KNRS. Listen, and you'll know. Let me tell you what, folks. This... This plan that Joe Biden has should scare the daylights out of you. Now, the White House has admitted that they missed the July 4th deadline to have 70% of all Americans uh, vaccinated by July 4th. Only about 59% of Americans are vaccinated right now. That number could be even lower. But the president today announced that he is stepping up a new plan to educate people about the vaccinations and to get them vaccinated. Well, during the White House briefing today, White House spokesperson Jen Psaki said, guess what? They're going to be going door to door to Americans who have not been vaccinated yet. Listen to this plan.
5: In more healthcare settings and respond to hotspots. The president will outline five areas his team is focused on to get more Americans vaccinated. One, uh, targeted community by community door-to-door outreach to get remaining Americans vaccinated by ensuring they have the information they need on how both safe and accessible the vaccine is. Two, a renewed emphasis on getting the vaccines to more primary care doctors and physicians. Something that we've seen in more healthcare settings and respond.
2: Door-to-door outreach. That means that the federal government is going to be knocking on your door to see if you've been vaccinated. I thought our medical records were private. Just just thinking. All right. Um, COVID-19. And we've had to deal with it now for, what, 15, 16 months in this country. And efforts were made by state officials and government officials to put a lid on everything. Mask mandates, closing schools, closing businesses. You name it, they did all they could because of this pandemic. But did they violate the Constitution? Or did the Constitution save us from COVID-19? Joining us on our newsmaker line to talk about that right now is Jacob Solem. He is the senior editor at Reason.com. How Jacob, thanks for being on the show tonight. How did the Constitution save us?
9: At the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of people were arguing that we shouldn't worry about legal niceties, that uh, since this was an emergency uh, the government can do whatever politicians thought was necessary in order to reduce virus transmission. Um, other people around the same time were pointing out the dangers of that approach, that if constitutional uh, constraints on government power are not obeyed during emergencies, they're really not of much use because the government could always declare an emergency as an excuse uh, to grab more power. Uh, and what ended up happening over the course of the last year and a half is that there were a, a series of uh, court cases that showed, first of all, an emergency is not a license to simply ignore constitutional rights. And we saw that in in cases involving uh, the Second Amendment, uh, so when some states uh, tried to shut down gun dealers, uh, there were lawsuits, and uh, all of the, the governors who did that uh, pretty quickly backed down. There were also a bunch of cases involving abortion, where certain states declared that abortion was a non-essential medical service, meaning that it was banned during the, the direct, for the duration of, of the lockdown. Um, and and a, a bunch of federal courts overturned those policies, uh, and explicitly rejected the idea that, uh, because it's an emergency, um, uh, the government can do whatever it thinks is appropriate. Um, and then finally, in terms of specifically enumerated rights, uh, there were a bunch of cases involving religious freedom where states imposed either severe restrictions or complete bans on uh, services in houses of worship. And the Supreme Court, uh, in, in several cases, uh, blocked enforcement of those restrictions, saying that they were uh, unconstitutionally discriminating against religion. In other words, they were drawing distinctions between religious activities and secular activities that were not justified by science or by public health considerations, uh, that religion was being subjected to more severe restrictions than other, other activities that posed similar risks of virus transmission. And then beyond that, if you get beyond specifically enumerated rights, there were cases involving the separation of powers and uh, the division of powers between the state and federal governments. So there were uh, state cases where uh, either uh, the Supreme Court in a couple of cases or uh, lower state judges said uh, the, the person who imposed all of these restrictions and transformed uh, what were previously uh, legal activities into crimes, right? In many Mm -hmm. cases, these were Mm -hmm. misdemeanors, uh, supposedly punishable by fines and and jail sentences, Uh, that they didn't have the authority to do that because the legislature had never given them that authority. So we're talking here about either governors or uh, secretaries of health, typically, um, that, that the powers that were being exercised were not actually authorized by statute, or, even if the statute could be read that way, that the legislature could not delegate uh, such tremendous power to executive branch officials, uh, because that would, that would basically give uh, the executive branch legislative powers.
10: Mm-hmm.
9: Um, G- and then, of course, in the CDC, CDC moratorium uh, eviction moratorium cases, uh, there were two issues. One was, can the federal government do this at all? Can the federal mm-hmm. government say that people who don't pay their rent And claim financial hardship may not be evicted, thereby overriding rental contracts throughout the country. Uh, And if it does have the power, where where does it get that power? And the other question was uh, did Congress give specifically the CDC that authority? Because it was the CDC that imposed this order. Um, And there were several successful challenges uh, to that moratorium. Some courts supported the CDC. But, uh, several judges and, uh, a federal appeals court said the CDC simply does not have this authority. And the authority it claimed was really quite sweeping. It it would imply, uh, that the CDC could impose for, uh, any of the policies that states imposed, including lockdowns, you know, business closures, stay at home orders, mask mandates. Um, but even beyond that, pretty much anything that it thought would help reduce virus transmission. And uh, several several judges said no.
10: Mm-hmm.
9: CDC does not
2: have that authority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is is it fair to say then, Jacob, by as you listed all these various issues, that it was the judicial system or judges who came to our rescue when it came to all these constitutional questions?
9: Yes, I mean that is what they're supposed to do. Um, and uh, if, if you look at the decision that was most commonly cited as, as a legal justification for lockdowns. This was a case back in 1905,
10: mm-hmm.
9: uh, Jacobson versus Massachusetts, where uh, a guy who objected to being vaccinated against smallpox challenged a state law that authorized uh, local orders requiring vaccination. He said he had a bad reaction as a child and he didn't want to be vaccinated again. Um, and he refused to pay the fine, which is, I think, five, a $5 fine. Uh, now, the Supreme Court ruled against him. that didn't find his arguments persuasive, but at the same time that it did that, it said, uh, of course, there could be cases where uh, states or, or uh, local governments impose public health restrictions that either are not uh, reasonable and rational, in other words, not really related to the to the ostensible goal, or they, they violate uh, clear clearly protect, rights that are clearly protected by the Constitution, and in that case, the courts would have to step in. So the case throughout, the issue throughout the last year and a half has been, when does that happen? At what point do governments go so far that they have violated the Constitution?
2: Do you think, Jacob, as a result of what has happened over the last year and a half, the government may have learned what it can and cannot do in the name of a public health emergency?
9: Um, To some extent, yes. To some extent, certain things are clearly off-limits now. But there still is the general issue of, uh, of can uh, governors uh, you know, broadly close down uh, businesses, tell people you have to stay at home except for essential purposes. Uh, a number of the courts said they did have that power and what, uh, because the, the state legislature gave it, gave it to them. And now what you're seeing is a movement um, across the country in state legislatures to dial back those powers. Because these statutes uh, that apply in emergencies are very, very broadly worded in general, um, and we saw during this pandemic w- how they can be interpreted uh, to authorize pretty much anything the government, the governor thinks is appropriate. Uh, so, in states like Pennsylvania um, and, uh, let's see, I think Kentucky, um, a couple other, examples. oh, New York, which is mm-hmm. interesting because mm-hmm. that was. Democratic legislators taking power away from the Democratic governor in in, in various states. Uh, the legislatures uh, and in Pennsylvania's case also uh, voters because they passed a constitutional amendments to restrict the governor's powers. They're starting to question uh, the breadth of these statutes and try to dial them back.
2: On our NewsMaker line, Jacob solemn he is a senior editor at Reason. talking about why COVID didn't. For emergencies, when you call today, we come today. Really been great to be back with you today after we took a uh, July 4th extended holiday break. We'll be with you right on through uh, Friday, of course, and then For several weeks, five days a week with you, Monday through Friday, right here on Utah's Talk Radio, 105.9 KNRS. Listen, you'll know the brand new Jesse Kelly Show is coming up at 7. Jesse has a whole lot of fun. Let me tell you what. He really does have a good time talking about the issues of the day, and I invite you to give him a listen. He'll be with you right up until uh, 10 o'clock tonight. Don't forget Clay Travis, Buck Sexton, of course, taking over the uh, time slot once held by The uh, great Rush Limbaugh, great show today, as they were talking about all the things that have been going on during the uh, July 4th weekend. Kind of crazy. Okay, a couple of things I want to get to before we check out of here tonight. Um, Joe Biden. A lot of us have been wondering for quite some time, since his election, even before his election, if Joe Biden, who is, what, 78 years old, no doubt his cognitive abilities are not what they used to be. If, in fact, he is running the country and if, in fact, he's running the White House. Well, a new poll that was released just yesterday found that a majority of Americans believe that others, others, like Susan Rice and Ron Klain, who are two of his top advisors, are really running the show in Joe Biden's administration and not Biden himself. The national poll released by the Convention of States Action in partnership with the Trafalgar Group the poll, which was conducted toward the end of June, surveyed more than 1,000 likely voters for the upcoming 2022 midterm elections. Here's what the poll found. Here's some numbers for you. 56, almost 57% of the American voters do not believe Joe Biden is fully executing the duties of his office. 36% believe he is. 31%, a third of Democratic voters do not believe Joe Biden is fully executing the duties of his office. 58% believe he is, but a third of the Democratic voters don't believe he's running things. 83% of Republicans do not believe he is fully executing the duties of his office. And 58.4% of independent voters, critical to Joe Biden, do not believe he is running the office. Now, you're all aware of President Lincoln's famous refrain that you can't fool all the people all the time. It's never been more relevant and critical to the survival of our American republic right now, other than what's going on. The American people, I think, deserve transparency from the administration as to the true state of Joe Biden's mental and physical health. And leaders in both parties in Congress need to follow through of that on that immediately. The poll came, of course, after former White House doctor Ronnie Jackson, who is now a Republican congressman out of Texas, said over the weekend that he believes Biden is demonstrating every single day that something's going on. Don't we have a right to know the answer? All right, that does it for us tonight. Head up, shoulders back. May God bless. It
0: is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?